We need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Welcome back, dear listener. This is episode 140 of the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. It's the 29th of March, 2018. With me once again, Scott the Velvet Glove. G'day, g'day Trevor. I'm looking forward to our chat. Excellent. Let's get secular. <laughs> Excellent. And also um, a common sort of uh, member of the panel these days, the 12th man, Paul. Welcome aboard again. Thank you, Trevor. Thanks, guys. How are you? I've been waiting for cricket, the Australian Cricket Board to give me a call. Still hasn't come. <laughs> I don't know what's happening over there, but, you know, just when they need me. Yeah, we're, we're lucky to have the 12th man because with, with players dropping like flies from the Australian cricket team, yeah. you thought you'd get the call, but no. Wouldn't you have thought? As the 12th man, you should have. But anyway, you're still here with us, which we're grateful I th- for. I think it's an indication you've still got work to do on promoting the podcast, Trevor, somehow. But... Well, perhaps you've got work to do on your cricketing skills. <laughs> Probably both. Mm. So, dear listener, we've got a lot of topics. Uh, it's, it's the Thursday before the Easter weekend, as we're speaking, and... Um, and so the Christians have come out to play, haven't they? They have. And we've got a lot on the board yeah. for it to discuss. But first cab off the rank is, dear listener, if you remember a few weeks ago, we spoke to a lady called Caitlin who was organising a rally to um, promote the idea that they need a, an exclusion zone in Albury because of um, religious nutters harassing um, women who are trying to attend a fertility clinic clinic in Albury. So the rally's happened and we're going to give Caitlin a call and see what happens. So let's try Caitlin now. Hello, Trevor. Hello, Caitlin. How are you going? I'm doing well, thanks. How have you been? Yeah, really good. So I've got the 12th man with me and just as I pressed the call button to call you, Scott dropped out. <laughs> oh. Hi, Caitlin. Oh, hello, 12th man. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. It's good to be speaking with you guys. Yeah. So I'm going to be a little bit distracted as we're talking because I'm going to try and get Scott back on this Skype call as we're doing it. But, Caitlin, <laughs> tell us about um, tell us about your, your rally and how it went. How many people were there, what people said. And, um, oh, here we go. Scott's coming back. Yeah, I'm here. So the rally experience was really positive. We had um, we had someone do a head count about three quarters of the way through the crowd, and they counted over 200 people. So we reckon that was a pretty good turnout. I reckon um, that's there good. Was, yeah, we were really uh, we were really impressed with that turnout, and um, lots of um, lots of people that we didn't expect to come that, uh, you know, people that had signs and placards that were showing their support from all, uh, all different parts of the community. So, um, we were, we were really pleased. We had, um, we had some great speakers come and support the event and, um, some last minute, uh, some last minute speeches that we got to read out for a few people that couldn't be there that were supporting us. So yeah, we, um, we got some good, local media coverage as well. Uh, so all in all, it was a very positive outcome. We um, 
we actually heard on the morning of the event that the uh, the group that has been picketing, which is the helpers of God's precious infants, yes. or what we call them hogpie, they had actually applied through the council to have a um, a rally in QE2 Square on the same day, oh, in yeah. the same place. Uh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> which we thought was a little bit... I was bit, going to uh, ask that. Probably not the best move by the council that, that they approved yeah. it, but... Um, we thought, oh, well, well, we'll just, you know, we everyone everyone's going to behave themselves and, you know, they've got a right to be there, so we'll just see how we go. But as it turned out, they didn't actually um, come to the party. So um, probably, I mean, I, I, I really don't think it would have been uh, an issue, but um, everyone exercising their right to uh, to speak. But, yeah, it's probably good that, you know, for the sake of, uh, uh, you know, people get quite impassioned on this topic. Uh, so did the council give them permission to have a rally yeah. at the same time, at the same place? Yep. You're yep. kidding. <laughs> I mean, what's the? that's the whole point of permits is to make sure there isn't a conflict. So, um, yeah. that's weird. Do, do you suppose I, that um, somebody in the council tipped them off, Caitlin? Absolutely. Um, there is a member of the council who is quite actively involved with that particular group. And he's been very outspoken in his uh, opposition to an exclusion zone. Mm. Um, I don't, I don't want to go into personal attacks because I don't mm. really, uh, you know, I don't believe that that really equates to the moral high ground. But um, I think he's sort of had some pretty immature ways of uh, demonstrating his opinion and his uh, power mm so to speak, um, and probably not the best way, the most professional ways. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say that there was some inside intelligence um, and, and that's precisely why they would have allocated that time to mm. be able to protest. <laughs> so do you think um, anything's going to change? Do you think anybody in power was listening and is going to change the law in New South Wales? We really hope so. Um I think that uh, so Penny Sharp, who is um, who, who spoke on the day, she was our keynote speaker. She is um, she has an open letter to the New South Wales parliamentarians, and she's seeking to get their support to to provide safe access zones around reproductive health clinics. So um, we we actually she's actually started a petition um, for people to sign. Um, and that she's also encouraged us on that on the day of the petition to contact local MPs because, I mean, I guess the main thing is that unless they know that it's an issue that is really important to people, I mean, there's no reason for them necessarily to change their mind or their standing. Mm-hmm. Um, but something that she emphasised to me when we spoke in person was that it really is important for people to, you know, do a little bit of, um, you know, get on the computer and just send an email to your local MP and just say, hey, look, this is something that I think needs to change. Can you please support um, Can you please support Penny Sharp's um, uh, provide safe access zones? There's, um, uh, there, there's a summary offences amendment for safe access to reproductive health clinics bill right. um, that is going to be coming to the New South Wales Parliament this year. And so basically that's, that's the bill that she's hoping to get through 
Okay. Um, so for anyone in New South Wales, um, get your local member's email address or phone number and ring them up and say it's important to you that that those changes are made. Hey, since we spoke, I've, we've since become friends on Facebook, and I saw on your Facebook page this um, post about it, which had stories from Albury, and um, story number one was the woman who travelled from Wagga in a taxi because her family didn't know. The cab was surrounded, banging on the windows, the cab driver shaken, and the woman a wreck. And then story yeah. number two, the clinic is forced to employ a security guard to ensure women have a clear passage into the clinic. Even with security, women arrive inside shaking, crying and angry. Story number three, women are travelling to Melbourne at great cost to have an abortion because they can't face the abuse they will endure at their local clinic. And number four, staff being followed home, accosted in the street, forced to come to work half an hour early to avoid the abuse. And This happens every day. And number five, a woman taking her 13-year-old to ballet walks past the clinic. She is surrounded and her daughter given photos of dismembered fetuses and told her mother is about to murder a child. And number six, a woman is sitting at a cafe in town. She is approached and told that there are photos of her going to the clinic. These are unbelievable stories. how, how do you know, like, is that what you've heard from people or you've heard the actual people you know, the say more, this? The more, the more people that I speak to that are involved with this protest, the more things are coming to light about the intimidation and the abuse that these uh, people are doing. Um, they, they've called the police for schoolgirls that have gone into the clinic. Um, I, I think it's a real problem because it, it's not it's not in the jurisdiction of the police to do anything and... Admittedly, it seems like, you know, they've almost actively chosen not uh, to, to help in this issue. Um, like they might, I mean, I don't, I don't want to make any assumptions, but, um, you know, maybe that they, they show a little bias. Um, mm. it's, it's sort of what some people have suggested because, you know, they, there's been a story that I heard actually on the day of the protest that there was a lady that um, was crying outside of a cafe because... Her FPOS was refused, and the police actually moved her on. Um, and, and you kind of think, well, if you're going to move someone on from being, you know, upset in front of a, a retail shop, yep. why wouldn't you move people on who are obviously bullying and intimidating people? And, um, you know, the mm. stories that I've heard that is that these people are, you know, some of them are quite influential in the community, and um, that's kind of the reason why they're sort of flexing their muscle. I also mm. heard that one of the um, one of the doctors that used to practice at the clinic was actually sued for defamation right. um, by these people. Um, so they're really exercising their muscle um, because I believe they they believe that they have the backing of a larger um, institution, which is you know the church, and um, perhaps they're in a you know reasonable social standing that they can afford to. To cop that um, a, on their on their pocket. I have know? a vague memory of an offence of public nuisance, which allows police to move people on for being a public nuisance. And I would have thought the actions of some of these uh, right to lifers would constitute public nuisance. So anyway, if you get a chance, have a look at that or talk to somebody. But um, 
Well, good on you, Caitlin. So it sounds like you're becoming quite the activist. You know, we'll see you in Parliament one day, perhaps. Like this is the start of bigger and better things for you. Like this is your first rally that you've ever organised, isn't it? Yeah, well, oh, I, look, I couldn't say that I, I organised it. I, I got to be MC, which was a huge privilege for me to be able to, you know, stand uh, stand next to some of these really um, incredible women and, you know, men that, you know, have been such... Um, you know they've they've done a lot in this area, so mm. by all means, I, I hope that I remain engaged in this area, and I'm gonna I'm gonna be committed to seeing this through until it's passed. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of women that really put a lot of hard work into it. But by all means, I. I'm sure it won't be the end of my um, my activism career. Yeah, I mean, there's, <laughs> but, uh, a, there's a good lesson in that, dear listener. I mean, when you do get involved in things, and you will actually meet some interesting people along the way, and enrich your life and make some good contacts. So, um, so it 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 does sort of have a few side benefits as well. So, yeah, I'd recommend it. Mm, very good. <laughs> I've met some really incredible people through it. So, yeah, so. Good on you, Caitlin. We'll leave that um, for, for the moment and continue with our normal um, podcast. Hey, before you go, um, did you listen to my interview with Chris Lamb of the New Creation Church? Was that the previous podcast? That you yeah. Did? I'm not, not sure not that I've had the opportunity to listen to it yet. Okay. I was looking for feedback to see whether people liked it or not. So, um, but that's okay. Uh, if you haven't listened, you haven't listened, so no worries. I will get back to you on that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Caitlin, no worries. Thanks for that, and we'll be in touch. Thank you very much. Okay, Take thanks. Care. Cheers. Bye. 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 That's Caitlin. Good mm, on you, she Caitlin. She sounds good. Yeah, she is good. It's a pretty horrendous situation. Those stories mm. are bad happening in an Australian town mm. of all places. Yeah. Same. It is ridiculous, isn't it, that you've got a group of people that feel like they are able to just go in there and abuse people, which I find ridiculous. Mm. Yeah. Look, you, I mean, I, I think people who feel so passionately about something certainly uh, deserve the right to express their, their opinion on it, but to, to go and harass and physically intimidate people, that is unacceptable. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. Mm. Last week... I did an interview with Chris Lamb of New Creation Church and I'm getting conflicting signals from people as to what they thought about it. So uh, I spoke to my son and he wasn't so sure. He got about 20 minutes into it and he he was ready to depart the podcast. And 12th Man, I asked you your opinion and, well, tell the dear listener what you think of, of it. Well... You know, I um, I thought as as sincere and um, you know he seemed like a genuinely nice enough bloke. Um, I just didn't think he really had much um, intellectual firepower in terms of really giving a good argument, a good a good account of you know why people would go to his church or indeed want to be. Um, Followers of the Christian religion. I've read a lot more convincing accounts in some of the sort of Catholic uh, academic journals than uh, what he was managing to give you, Trevor. But do you think he would have been typical? I've I found him pretty typical of the kind of charismatic, you know, sort of down-home community church that you find quite a lot these days, you know, which attract 
people who are a little bit lost in life or, you know, life hasn't been very kind to them and they go along they get a very strong feeling of acceptance and love and community from churches like Chris's church. And, you know, we, we can fully appreciate why people would be attracted to that. But in terms of uh, in intellectual power, there's very little. Scott, what do you think? I didn't... I didn't come across that um, same criticism that Paul did because um, I didn't think we were looking for anything that was intellectual or anything like that. Um, well, you know, I mean, yeah, let's face it, he, right. he, came up with the same, he came up with the same arguments that we've heard God knows how many times before, you know, which was, oh, you know, the, the Bible says it's true, therefore it must be true, mm. you know, which is, which is just nonsense. So I wasn't distressed that there was no uh, intellectual property behind him or anything like that. He was just, um, he just came on, he gave his speech and that was it. So I I didn't find it offensive in any way. Um, you know, it was just, it was pretty much a repeat of any Christian evangelical person that you could get on there really. Except he, the, the good thing that I think about him was that he wasn't, um, he wasn't all fire and brimstone. He believed in hell, you mm. know, which he said. But he didn't say that you were going to go to hell. Well, he didn't you know? want to say it. He thought no. I would, but he was reluctant to yeah. say it. Well, yeah. It sort of Possibly. brings to mind some of the comments we've seen since Stephen Hawking died, you know, people saying, well, he may have been a, a genius, you know, of sorts, but mm. uh, we all know that now he's met his maker and, and now he's had to you know, give an account for himself to God directly and uh, he probably is in hell now. This sort of, you know, just nonsense really. And I just wondered, Trevor, you know, as nice a guy as he, as he was, why would you engage him in a conversation? Well, we spent a lot of time on this podcast railing against school chaplains mm -hmm. and religious instruction classes in schools and... I think he was a fine example of the sorts of things that those people would be saying. Mm -hmm. So I think he was spot on in the middle of being uh, nice this short of God. Like a lot of, let's face it, a lot of school chaplains, you know, nice people, ingratiate Absolutely. themselves, but they tell this story yeah. that's quite absurd. Yeah. And the religious instruction classes, the, the volunteers coming in, I think he was just a really good example of the thinking that is being, um, mm. you know, indoctrinated into our children yeah. and, and the ridiculousness of it and why it should be stopped. So if we'd have had a really, and, you know, down the track we will get one, a very clever theologian who's got some other ideas that might stand up to more scrutiny before falling over completely, uh, that wouldn't necessarily represent what's actually going on out there. So I thought it was a good reminder of just the sort of thing that we're fighting against. Yeah, although the kind of things that Chris talked about are probably couched in different terms to what they would be feeding to school children, I imagine. Yeah, well... Possibly, but anyway, I, I mm. really enjoyed it. So okay. I'm going to talk to Chris again. And, Good for you. <laughs> and, well, dear listener, if you either really hated it or really liked it or didn't care, it would be nice to get some feedback as to what you thought of it. But um, I do want to get... I think I put myself into that third category where I didn't really care. Right. You know, yeah. it's just... Um, 
you know, he, he came on, he said what he had to say and that sort of thing, and that, that's fine. And, um, you know, he's – I don't know if he's listened to the podcast since, but um, if you're listening, Chris, you know, please don't take this personally. But, you know um, – it was he, – he came on, he had his say, and that was it. And, you know, you, you weren't engaging in – with a debate with him or anything like that. You just let him come on and have his say, which I think was fine. Well, I think the most – strangely enough, one of the most interesting parts of it was to demonstrate how hard it was going to be to convince him of, of anything was in relation to the painting of the blood on the doorway where Chris was saying that yes. that was – yeah. That was the shape of the cross and a foretelling of of, cross, the, yeah. of the crucifixion of Christ. And and when I pointed out to him that in no way, shape or form could that possibly be construed as a cross, he really was quite adamant about it. Yeah. And that was sort of the one concrete thing because Chris loved to throw words out that were sort of airy-fairy and vague, mm. but on the one concept where we could actually paint a picture um, and he was proven to be painting a very strange interpretation, mm. he just he was reluctant to back down even on that. So there yeah. we go. Yeah. Now, I've got a message. Caitlin is um, she's ready for us, I think. So let's, let's try again and see. I've got to go grab my glasses. So, okay, you do that. All right. Let's try again. Beer or wine glasses? I don't know. We should wait for him to come back. I'll edit this out. Yeah. Maybe. I just... I don't know. You've got your glasses. I, wondered, I, I just wondered why you would devote a whole podcast to that, you know? I think some... I mean, you'll edit this out, but I, I think some of the listeners would have turned off the podcast if they, if they thought it was just going to be you and him for a whole podcast. I mean, if I was just a listener, I would have been going, oh, well, that's enough, you know, after half an hour was more than enough. Yeah, that's all right, I guess. I mean, that's the thing about a podcast. People yeah. can turn off if they don't, if they can see what's It'll happening. It would be interesting if you can get some feedback from the listeners mm. about it, I think. Because mm. um, I think... People could listen to the first 20 minutes and go, oh, well, I know what direction this is going in and I either like it or I don't and I'm going to jump ship now or I'm going to stay mm. on. So I don't mind. I don't expect people to listen to every podcast. So, But you don't um, want to give them the impression that the podcast is ever going to be boring either, do you? No, but you see, I found it interesting. My pers- I personally found it interesting to try and... Um, drill down on on some of the belief and try and get an answer. And let's face it, if I get a Mormon on the show or a Muslim, a then be interesting. Um, I'm going to get something similar. It'll be an incomprehensible mishmash of funny ideas mm. that's going to be um, trying to pin people down on, a, on an actual belief and yeah. finding them um, a bit slippery. You're probably starting from the point of never really expecting to make any progress with those yeah. people, aren't you? I am. Yeah, I got low so I, didn't, I didn't expect to convert him, but it was to it was to illustrate the thinking that is being um, delivered to our children and yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Right, gentlemen. Um, next topic is we spoke oh, a week or two ago about Stephen Hawking passing away because it sort of happened that very day mm. and. Didn't get much time to really think about it in advance, but one of the things that's come out since is 
the gleeful gloating of some Christians who are now saying, uh, well, Stephen Hawking's dead and he's burning in the fires of hell and getting his just desserts. So I've got a link to an article here. Um, He was clearly not liked by the religious folk because he'd come out pretty much and said that the most likely scenario is, according to the evidence, that there is no creator as such. And, of course, people didn't like that. So, um, for example, there was a, a senator in Texas who said, Stephen Hawking now knows the truth about how the universe was actually made. Um, my condolences to his family. And he got hauled over the coals for that. But there were some that were a lot worse. Um, uh, let's see. Well, he went on to say, My tweet was to show the gravity of the gospel and what happens when we pass, namely that we will one day meet our creator face to face. Though Hawking has long been a vocal atheist who advocated against and openly mocked God, I hope nothing but the best for his family and pray he came to know faith before he passed. I don't think he did. but uh, no, I don't think he did either. No. And there was just a series of uh, examples of quite nasty um, comments that people have made online. So, um, so yeah, the so-called... I- very, very unchristian. These Christians in there. Well, yeah, that's that's the thing. I mean, I, I don't like to sort of say that I've got the mind of a Christian or anything like that. So, I'm not going to say it's unchristian for them to say it. But it is um, very demeaning the way they have conducted themselves. They have lowered themselves to a point where they are effectively laughing at the guy, and they are laughing at him being eternally tormented. And in a place that is full of fire and brimstone. Mm. There's there's one here. Stephen Hawking is burning in hell. Funny, his final thoughts were that he was going to enter eternal darkness. But when he woke up, he found himself before the Lord, his soul judged by him to be tortured for all eternity in the realm of Satan. (laughs) No, I just think these people make themselves look like absolute jackasses. Don't you think? I mean, they're just... Of course they are. But it's they're quite, just idiotic it's what they're saying. It is mean. And it's certainly, as you said, Trevor, uh, if, if, we, if we take, you know, Christians at their word that they are um, kind, good-hearted, um, charitable people, mm. it's extremely uncharitable, to say the least, isn't it? Mm. It is. It's really quite offensive what they've said. I don't subscribe to the old superstitions that you shouldn't speak ill of the dead. Nor do I. But, you know, and sure, maybe they might be able to say something, but to say it the way they did with this glee underneath it, that's what I find really offensive. Mm. Mm. Look, Ironically. And, and particularly considering, considering what they believe hell is, you, you'd consider that um, they'd be showing a bit of reverence towards it and they'd say, well, you know, so-and-so has now found out the truth, he's dead, you know, that sort of thing, rather than saying, oh, well, he's suffering an eternity for hell. I, I find that ridiculous. Yeah, he's suffering and he deserves it is sort of the theme of a yeah, lot of exactly. these things. Yeah. Whereas at least Chris yeah. Lamb last week, he was reluctant to declare that I was going to be going to hell and had to sort of push him to get it out of him. But... Um, yeah, he did come across as a much sort of gentler sort of a guy. Yeah, mm. but um, 
Anyway, he thinks that's where I'm going to end up. And of course he does. Yeah. The final comment on this is that, uh, ironically, many of the people expressing hatred for Stephen Hawking actually think that Donald Trump is going to heaven. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's bizarre, isn't it? Yeah. And we had mentioned Stephen Hawking previously on this podcast because there was a great thing where there was a television interview with him. And in the interview, he described Trump as a demagogue who seems to appeal to the lowest common denominator. And um, moments after he made the remark, Google reported a sharp increase in searches for the terms demagogue, <laughs> denominator and Stephen Hawking. And, uh, and one, of Trump's, one of Trump's, uh, his campaign manager, Corey Lewandowski, said, uh, for a so-called genius, this was an epic fail. If Professor Hawking wants to do some damage... Maybe he should try talking in English next time. Mm. And uh, Hawking's got a sense of humour, or he did have a sense of humour, because he then subsequently told a reporter, Trump, bad man, real bad man. (laughs) (laughs) Very funny. (laughs) Oh, dear. Yeah. It reminds me of a... um, a, a female, I believe she was a Republican Party uh, official in the United States a few years ago when it was reported to have said something like, if, you know, that something about the Bible and what language it, it was written in, you know, because people often talk about how the Bible is a translation of a translation of a translation or something. And this woman was reported to have said something like, if English was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. You know? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. An Americans telling an Englishman how to speak English is good, yeah. Ah, oh, dear. Hey, so, yeah, we had previously mentioned Hawking you know, on this podcast. And um, another topic uh, that came up recently that we'd mentioned before, Scott, was border force and mm-hmm. the chief now this is a difficult name to pronounce the guy who's just been sacked who was head of border force roman quadvilleg something like that um and he got into trouble for having an affair and i guess having an affair is not so much the problem as uh changing some of the his, employment rules and yeah he found his girlfriend a, a job yeah. in the agency yeah, yeah. So, so he was doing a Joyce, doing a Barnaby. It seemed to be, yes. Yeah, apparently so. Yeah. Um, but perhaps a, a more accentuated version of it. So he was quite blatant and he's been sacked. But it's surprising that he came to grief in such a way because uh, listeners will remember from, I think, episode nine when we were... Um, referring to the swearing in of this gentleman and and the commissioning of Border Force when Tony Abbott gave a speech and um, and, and here's part of the speech that Tony Abbott gave. May God bless you. May God bless your work. May God bless the country you are helping to protect and prosper. All those blessings failed to assist. <laughs> Didn't work out very well, did it? 
Yeah, so we did a story on that at the time, Scott. Do you remember that? When we were basically saying, that, yeah, what's our Prime was... Minister doing blessing people? Exactly, yeah. yeah it's over the top. So. And we were saying that he sounded like a yank and that sort of thing. It was ridiculous. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, uh, the God bless yous from um, Tony Abbott all that time ago, back in August, or uh, late 2015, was a waste of time. We've got a few characters who we've talked about on this podcast who are, are popping their heads back up in this episode 140, and one of them is our old friend, Yasmin Abdul-Majid. Scott, were you aware that she won the Voltaire Award? For a coveted... I did hear that, that she... I did hear that she'd won the award, and I then read the article that you sent through. Yes. And, you know, it's one of the few times I agree wholeheartedly with the IPA, actually, when they were opposed to her receiving the award. But anyway, um, you know, you just got to look back on her over her record of what she said and that sort of thing, and you just think to yourself, love, you are not in favour of free speech. You want to curtail free speech. So, you know. Exactly. I mean, the Voltaire Award is supposedly named after the, well, in honour of the quote, which may not have been said by Voltaire, but it was, I I reject what you say, but I defend your right to say it. Exactly, yeah. And previous winner last year, which we spoke about, was our friend from the Human Rights Commission, Gillian Triggs. Mm-hmm. She won the Voltaire Award shortly after saying, um, in relation to Section 18C, unfortunately we can't stop people saying whatever they want around the dinner table at home. Around the- unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, exactly. So she had said, unfortunately we can't stop people insulting you know, minorities around the dinner table at home. And she won the Voltaire Award. And now we've got Yasmin Abdul-Majid, who was on the record as saying fiction writers cannot write or tell stories about minority groups that they're not a member of, or any group, for that matter, because that was cultural appropriation. Mm. And and they couldn't possibly possibly empathise with anyone other than people who look physically the same as them. Correct. And, and that they were stealing the stories of these other people because there's just a, apparently a finite number of times you can tell a story. So she was actually promoting a restriction of speech as well. So Indeed. Whoever isn't... We've got to find out. Who's who, in charge of... Who the are the people in charge Liberty of this? Liberty Victoria. Can somebody... It, but it says... Hang on, Trevor. It mm. says human rights group... Liberty Victoria. So yeah. we must be totally uh, wrong because they are a human rights group. Yes, Liberty Victoria. Mm. Yeah. But so perhaps we've just got it all wrong. Well, it's like these Christian groups who call themselves other things to sort of disguise their real mm. persona. So oh, it's, for goodness sake, the two people yeah. that, they've, that they've awarded this to in the last two years are the, the most ineligible people in Australian community that I could think of. Uh, would it be out of line for me to mention the upcoming Australian Humanists Convention in South Australia? 
there's one coming? What's there, that? There is one. I saw a, an, an advertisement for one, and Gillian Triggs was uh, billed as one of the guest speakers. Oh, okay, so you're going you to pay to go to that one? Can't see myself going all the way to Adelaide to listen to Gillian Triggs somehow. Yeah, I, I don't think. I, I mean, imagine I, I like the humanists as a group, mm-hmm. but um, I'm ju- I was a little bit surprised actually to see her on the bill. I imagine she's got that billing because of her work on um, refugees and whatnot. She has um, she has been quite vocal about that, and the humanists are pushing for a more humane way of dealing with refugees mm. so that wouldn't surprise me there mm. 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 right we previously mentioned that queensland is starting to make noises in relation to assisted dying legislation and, and it's about bloody time too mm. so clem jones former lord mayor left behind a significant amount of money for a trust and that trust is taking action in this regard and they're um, lobbying and working for things to happen. And there's a guy from the Trust, um, David Muir, who wrote to all of the Queensland MPs about the issue and he reckons if a vote is taken, then uh, assisted dying laws will pass comfortably in the current parliament. So... I mean that assumes that's on the assumption that the that they they vote the way the polls are suggesting they should vote. Oh, I think he was the, saying because of his his contacts with these people, Scott. Okay. Yeah, the way yeah, I read okay. it, because he was saying that uh, he's he's written to them and he's had a series of meetings with ministers and MPs, and it's from all that that he thinks they'll. And yet, according to the article, the Premier is a little bit reluctant to go down that path. She's, she's reluctant God, to get out of bed God, in the morning because she wants to be a positive God action. Knows, God long knows why she's reluctant. I mean, like, you've got uh, the number 84% or 86% of the electorate or something like that were in support of it. Mm. So I can't understand. Yeah, there it is. Roy Morgan found 86% of Queenslanders in favour, a number roughly in line with the rest of the country. I can't understand why anyone would think it would be a good idea to block it. I suppose we'd have to talk to the New South Wales guys that did vote against it. But um, oh, I just don't think – she just doesn't want it on the agenda. So she just – because she doesn't want to have to deal with the conflict and um, – But the, she, conflict's only, the conflict's only coming from 14% of the population. Yeah. The support for voluntary euthanasia would hurt the LNP more than it would hurt the Labor Party because you could have them running away to Family First, or sorry, the Australian Conservatives, if they do push their way down, if they do push for it. So I think that it's um, there's greater damage likely to be inflicted on the LNP opposition than there is to be inflicted on the government. Is there still a Conservative rump in the uh, Australian Labor Party, like a Catholic uh, section that uh, is it's opposed to It's a very marginal abortion? rump. I mean, the... the it's, it's, well, not, is, it's not obvious. There is, there is in the a court. small number. There is a small number, but they're not largely. They're very. They're not vocal. Yeah, it's it's not obvious in the state parliament, but it could be there. But um, I think um, Comrade Palaszczuk is just really conflict averse because she saw uh, Campbell Newman just picking fights with everybody and getting into trouble. So her number one uh, rule 
was don't pick fights with anybody over anything and just lay low. Maybe that's it. She so. seemed reluctant with Adani as well, didn't she? Yeah. Dear listener, here's an interesting conundrum. I think this next topic is a tricky one. So um, there was an article in this morning's paper. Uh, wealthy developer Bob L has been fined $700 after being caught driving at more than twice the legal blood alcohol limit in Surface Paradise. Uh, the incident has left the Gold Coast's richest man deeply embarrassed. Uh, he's a 72-year-old billionaire, and he pleaded guilty to being 0.105 um, on the March the 7th, and he's been disqualified from driving for three months. $700 fine. The issue here, Twelfth Man and Scott, is should people be fined according to their income or wealth? Because clearly for this guy, $700 is like a handful of change in our pockets, you know, for him. A couple of decent lunches. It's... it's, it wouldn't cross his mind to be like a cup of coffee. It just there's no punishment level in seven hundred dollars for a man like that. So um, ethically, should we be fining people who are wealthy a higher amount than people who are not so wealthy? So I've got a link to an article um, from the New York Times on this topic, but. Um, also a link to an incident in Finland, home of the $103,000 speeding ticket. So uh, this is from March the 12th. So effectively, five days after um, Bob L was found with his um, blood alcohol reading on the Gold Coast, there was a guy in Finland, Raima Kuzla, a Finnish businessman, was caught going 65 miles per hour in a 50 zone in his home country. Typically, you'd expect a fine of a couple of hundred dollars at most. But after the Finnish police pulled him over, um, they pinged a federal taxpayer database to determine his income. They consulted their handbook and arrived at the amount that he was required to pay, which was... £54,000. Euro. Uh, Euro, sorry. Thank you, 12th man. A week apart, two different countries. Who's who's got the right system here? Well, I'll I'll just give you a little bit more on how that was determined. So Kuzla's declared income was 6.5 million euros per year. Exorbitant fines like this are infrequent but not unheard of. In 2002, a Nokia executive was fined the equivalent of $103,000 for going 45 in a 30 zone on his motorcycle, and an NHL NHL player was uh, incurred a $39,000 fine. And what they do in Finland for calculating fines is relatively simple. They estimate the amount of spending money a Finn has for one day and they divide that by two. And the resulting number is considered a reasonable amount of spending money to deprive the offender of. 
Then, based on the severity of the crime, the system has rules for how many days the offender must go without that money. So if you were going 15 mile per hour over the speed limit, it gets you a multiplier of 12 days. If you go 25 miles per hour over the speed limit, it's a 22-day multiplier. So, um, so most reckless drivers would be paying 30 to 50 euro per day for maybe four or 500 euro fine. Um, Finland's maximum multiplier is 120 days, but there's no ceiling. Um, so effectively, you apply that formula and uh, really rich guys like this one end up with a 54,000 euro fine. It's a lot of money. It is. I think it's eminently sensible, I have to say. Of course, I'm on a relatively low income, so it's not going to um, hit me too hard. But, yeah, I've, I've long thought it was. But, but it'll hit you as hard as the $600 fine that you would face if you were caught going home tonight with some speeding infraction or something. Gosh, how many beers have I had? Right. Well, I said speeding. So, <laughs> so Look, I, I read a few years ago of a case in Switzerland, I thought it was, and there was a, a wealthy businessman in Switzerland caught, you know, doing some crazy speed in his expensive European sports car. And the fine that I recall uh, in the article was something like around a million dollars. But he was a very wealthy person. But they arrived at the figure of a million dollars because a million dollars even for a wealthy person is a significant sum. It, it has to be an amount that will make the person think twice about doing it again. Scott, what do you Absolutely. reckon? It's, no, I agree wholeheartedly with Paul because you've got, to, you've got to set the fines at a level that makes people think, whole, think about it before they're going to do it again. And if you've got a guy, you know, that gets a 600... Well, that guy on the Gold Coast got, what, a $700 fine, plus he got um, suspended from driving for three months. Mm. You know, now he had a billion dollars or more in the bank. I find that fine to be wholly useless for him. It's ridiculous. You know, the, the three-month suspension of his licence is probably going to have more of an impact on him than the fine will. But, you know, the fine should be... And it should be a penalty for people and it should be a penalty for all people and you can argue it that it should be equal but the article the article that you sent, a billionaire and a nurse shouldn't pay the same fine for speeding, they're right there because they argue that the impact on a person's spending habits is where you should draw the line on it. So I think the, I'm, I'm on the side of the Finns there. I think they've done the right thing. Yeah, when we, you know, I, I do think you've got to. Sorry to cut you off. But I do think you'd probably have to um, give people the benefit of the doubt, and you know where they. You said that they pinged the um, national tax registry and that sort of stuff, and then came up with the fine that way. I do think that you're probably better off setting a maximum level at what the fine can be set by the police and then after that it's got to go to the courts for a determination. Oh, you know, I'm sure. Something could, like that. I'm sure he could appeal it. Yeah. One difficulty is that I'd be surprised if a property developer type of guy would actually have that sort of income. Um, Declared you know, income. Yes, because normally 
you know, it's all held in trusts and companies and, and you know, they really only give themselves enough to sort of, mm. so you they, know, the declared income is, is nowhere near their true wealth. So that's one of the problems with, with using income where perhaps assets might be more appropriate, but then if the assets are all held by trusts and then, you know, so clearly there are ways to get around it. But the idea, I think, has merit and... You know, when we punish people with fines, the idea is retribution and deterrence. So it's a slap on the wrist for what you've done as a punishment and it's also uh, meant to have a deterrent value where people say, well, I won't breach the law because I don't want that fine to hit me. So there's good reasons under the sort of rationale of, of fines as to why you wouldn't do what seems on the face of it to be inherently unfair. Yeah. I, I yeah. you know, for a long time thought, you know, when you when you get a parking fine, you know, for what's a parking fine these days? A, a, a low level parking fine would be like fifty, seventy dollars, something. No, like that. They're, they're expensive. The what's last one I got was fifty dollars, right. but that was just in a you know quiet little back street. Right. Um, but, you know, it often occurred to me that rich people would just park wherever they wanted to because, mm. you know, even if the fine was a couple of hundred dollars, they wouldn't care, would they? Yeah. So, so, um, so anyway... They don't the tow the cars away in Australia like they do in Japan, for example. In Japan, they what won't... What do you mean they don't tow the cars away? Well, in Australia, if you, you know, they'll give you a parking ticket. Now, I can tell you in Japan, if you park in the wrong place in a downtown area of a Japanese city, right. they don't leave a ticket under your uh, wiper blade. Right. They bring a truck and they take your car away. So they do here if it's a clear way. If oh, it's I a clear see, way yeah. zone. If it's, yeah. if it's a parking zone that becomes a clear way... Then well, in Japan, you know, any, right. any sort of downtown area of a city, yeah. Yeah. they just bring the trucks and they just take them all away. Yeah. Yep. So that was Finland. Great country, Finland. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's becoming your favourite, isn't it, Trevor? It, it, it is. And... Uh, apparently, according to a survey done by the uh, in the World Happiness Report 2018, guess which country is the happiest country in the world? Finland. Finland. Finland, Finland, Finland. The country where I want to be. Yeah, so there you go. Finland, happiest country in the world. Perhaps not for that executive if he just got slapped with a 54,000 euro fine, but hey, if he's making that sort of money each year... He's probably still pretty happy. He's probably not thinking of migrating anytime soon. Yeah. So Finland, uh, happiest country in the world, followed by Norway, Denmark, Iceland, Sweden. No, sorry, Switzerland, the Netherlands, Canada, New Zealand, Sweden, and Australia. Yay. So um, the least happiest countries are Burundi and the Central African Republic. Mm. And the United States came in at 18 out of 156 countries surveyed, um, substantially below most comparably wealthy nations. Yeah. So that's the happiness report. Finland scoring well. I continue with my apologies for the people of Finland. (laughs) (laughs) How many... um 
listeners do you have in Finland? Actually, currently? just on that topic, you know how we said we've got so many people in Japan. I think that I was talking to a guy last night, and he said sometimes these IP addresses that um, the system gets confused and. A block of IP addresses that are thought to be in Japan could actually be Australia. So I don't think we've got any Japanese listeners oh. except for Ayame, I think. Cause Even if, since your, your grand tour of Japan? Because none of them contacted me. Oh, so yeah. if other than Ayame, I don't think there's a single Japanese listener. And if you are out there, somebody... Contact me because I don't believe you exist. It you was exist. I thinking you'd be greeted at each railway station with flowers. That's what I was hoping, or at least an, an Asahi beer or something. But no. <laughs> Time to thank our patrons. Good on you, Sean, Alex, Ayame, Jason, Janelle, Craig, John, Craig, Wayno, Anonymous, James, Brett, Allison, Steve, Tony, Craig, Caitlin, Jimmy, and James. Good on you guys. Sorry we don't mention you every week, but you are invaluable. And um, here's a little message to you from the people who are not um, currently patrons. Yes, there's a lesson for you. If you become a patron and you'll actually enjoy the show that little bit more. It'll be sort of a guilt-free experience. So a dollar a show, that's all we ask. We've previously mentioned the TPP and it's still kicking around as a possibility. And Scott, I was listening to an expert on Late Night Live the other night and he reckons that all the nasty stuff is still in there with the investor state dispute settlement clauses yeah absolutely it is and that, that's where that's where we should walk away from it is because of the investor state dispute resolution clauses that's one of however if you get rid of them then it's not a bad deal no it's a still a bad deal <laughs> scott because the benefit is is negligible but yeah uh, well it's still a benefit remember the philip morris case where they attacked australia for introducing plain packaging because that interfered yes. with their profit making and in the mm-hmm. uk they're worried that because the uk is is leaving the european union and is looking to strike a deal with the us and probably reach some sort of trade agreement with the US to try and make up for their lost trade Mm. uh, with the Europeans. And health authorities in the UK are worried because they know that the Americans are going to want to export their... uh, No, not their cigarettes, 12th man. Oh, their whiskey. No, not their whiskey. But, what else do they have? Uh, just crap food full oh. of um, corn syrup and sugar and fat and all sorts of nasty stuff. And at the moment, the UK has got excellent packaging to say, you know, uh, forcing this shit. Well, or you know, mandatory descriptions on junk food to say what's in it, and the Americans will want that sort of descriptions wiped off the labels and so the UK health authorities are worried that out of desperation they'll end up striking agreements with the US and a whole bunch of nasty foods will enter and yeah 
insane. All a bit unsavoury, isn't it? Oh, boom, boom. (laughs) (laughs) Unsavoury. I do think that's a matter for the British when they are negotiating with the Americans because they are going to have to stand their ground and not give in on that. However, it's probably likely that they will give in on it and then they'll be stuck with the garbage food coming in. That's right. That's one of the many dangers of a free trade agreement. We forgot to mention two weeks ago when we spoke that that goddamn Bill Shorten and the Labor Party have come out and said that it's unfair that the Catholic school system is going to lose money under the sort of Gonski-style review that Birmingham's trying to introduce, and they promise that the Catholic system will get more money under them. Where do we turn with these groups? We can't vote for Turnbull because of the crazy stuff he wants to do. The chaplains, yeah. And we can't vote for Labor Party because they want to give even more money to the Catholic system. We're seeing a rock and a hard place with these guys. Well, this is something that I had the discussion with the better half today about this. And um, listeners will know he's a member of the Labor Party. And... um, I said to him that he should take this up, and he says, yeah, he will, blah, 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 blah. Um, Does he attend meetings? Does he go to Labor Party meetings? Oh, not as many as he could, but anyway. Right. He does go to some, but uh, not as many as he should. Um, I did say to him that I think that what I will end up doing is I will end up voting for the coalition in the lower house and then voting Labor in the Senate because I think that... um, Shorten doesn't deserve to form government, but Turnbull deserves to have the brakes put on his government. Right. And the Labor Party has been opposed to the outrageous giveaways of tax and that sort of thing that the coalition wants to give to corporates. Yep. Whereas the Labor Party is opposed to that. And that is the big thing that I think has got going against the Turnbull government is their desire to give $65 billion to corporate Australia. Mm. And you've got the situation that the Business Council of Australia, who's out there banging on saying that you've got to give these tax cuts, they've had their own internal polling leaked, which suggested that only 22% of the pop- of the um, of their members will hand over income tax savings in the form of lower wages, in the form of higher wages to their employees. Mm. So, you know... If you've only got 22% of, the, of them saying that they're going to do that and then you're still banging on saying you've got to do it for the benefit of all workers, yeah. that's crazy. Well, even and more, I, can't under, I can't understand why Turnbull's persisting with it. Anyway. Even more importantly, Scott, in every country where it's happened, where there's been major tax breaks given to corporations, it hasn't led to any higher wages and it hasn't led to any extra growth and it hasn't done any other things that um, Matthias Corman would say has happened. So Absolutely, you can look yeah. at experience in other countries. And when asked directly, you know, um, business um, representatives, when asked directly, um, if you get this $65 billion tax cut, will you pass it on to your staff in the, in the form of higher wage? They're very cagey about it. No, no, that's what Scott's just saying, that only only 17 or 20% of them mm. say that, that that's on the agenda at all. It's no, just going to be... No, it's just... Uh, it's not going to lead to any of that. Increased profits, uh, better dividends for shareholders, that's where it'll go. 
Unfortunately, according to a central report, when they polled people and said, would you support or oppose the following tax measures, one of which was cutting the company tax rate to 25%, apparently 40% of Australians supported it and 30% were against. I don't know. There's other polls that say the opposite. But do you remember the Labor Party's mining tax? What happened with that? The opinion polls fluctuated. Oh, well, people working working people were persuaded that it was against their interests yeah. for mining companies to pay more tax. Yep, you don't know where Work the, it out. You don't know where the truth lies with these opinion polls, but it's scary that Essential, who seems to conduct reasonable polls over time and don't seem to have an agenda, Scott. Um, have managed to find a 1,000 Australians, of which 400 reported they were in support of company tax breaks. I can't believe it. I, no. I, I, find that ridic- I, I find that really hard to believe because all the polling I've read on it suggests that the support for it's in the low 20s. Yeah. Do you suspect that if people, uh, as they say, rusted on... Liberal Party supporters and the Liberal Party wants the tax, they just follow the party line? Absolutely. It's tribal. People will say, what's the position of my tribe? And, okay, here, how am I going to justify that position? Um, I'll fall into line and I'll accept these notions, Mm. whether they're true or not. I'll accept trickle-down economics. Repeat the party dogma? Yes. Yeah, that's what's happening. So... I mean, people are running around worrying about what's happening on the Australian cricket team. And meanwhile, Turnbull is proposing to do this. Just quickly, dear listener, there's a link here to an article. 14 reasons why the case for a company tax cut uh, is not a good idea. For a start, it would be giving $65 billion as as a tax cut. That means we have $65 billion less for schools, hospitals and other services. Of that uh, amount... You see, sorry, according, sorry. To the theor- according to the theorists, they're saying that that $65 billion will get spent in wages and that will end up boosting the, uh, that'll end up boosting the bottom line for the government. And that, all be, that nonsense. and that would be the theorists who believe in trickle-down economics, which is... The, exactly, yes. Uh, it's a load of nonsense. Happen. Of that amount, $9.5 billion goes to the big four banks... Does anybody really think that the big four banks are going to hire more tellers or more staff because of it? No. Surely nobody thinks that. The big winners are tax avoiders and foreign shareholders. Um, The people pushing for this is the Business Council of Australia, and essentially it's just made up of foreign companies. Um, They're a big part of the Business Council of Australia pushing for tax cuts. There's no correlation between lower company tax rates and employment or economic growth. It's never happened and it won't happen. Um, Companies do business in Australia because they want to. Uh, Just 15 companies will share a third of the benefits of the tax cut. Uh, And the article goes on and on with other reasons and one thing to note was that yeah the biggest beneficiaries are the 15 listed companies it's the big banks it's 
Rio Tinto, it's Macquarie, it's Woolworths and Telstra. Woolworths, they're not going to do anything different. It just, they're just competing against each other. They're not going to be putting more checkout chicks on as cashiers because suddenly the tax breaks are there. It's just no, a complete... they're not. It's, it's, a, it's a complete load of garbage. They're not going to do that. They are, they're a business, and the business has decided that it's cheaper to go ahead and have people do their own checking out rather than paying checkout operators. Yeah. So, you know, it's absolutely crazy that anyone can sit there and say this with a straight face, that it's going to result in higher growth. It's not. It's a big worry. Don't let it happen, dear listener. Um, In other news, so George Brandis decided he'd had enough of the Senate and he's headed off to be the UK diplomat or whatever he's going to be over there, Scott. His replacement is Amanda Stoker, who's a lawyer, and she's entered the Senate to replace him. And apparently... um, when talking about what she's done, she started off with, I've helped to lead the public debate in support of school chaplaincy, argued against Bill of Rights, defended our national flag, constitutional system, and the right to protect our country's borders. So, Defended for, our national flag? What's that about? I don't know. Was our flag under attack? <laughs> she would make out it was. Yeah, but, yes. but, but, but when you put, you know... Led the debate in support of school chaplaincy as your as your first badge of honour. That is a worry. Really is. It is a hell of a worry, isn't it? That that's that's the first thing she reached for was that she def- she led the assault to s- support school chaplains. Yeah. Yeah. So um, bloody I, crazy, isn't it? When I find the time and I put her on the index, she's immediately getting a less than neutral score because of that <laughs> comment, Scott. You know without what? having voted on anything, I'm I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here and and guess that she's <laughs> never listened to the podcast. Probably not. No, I'd but, say she hasn't. No. no, but you know, not many people have because nobody out there tells their friends about it. Do you listen? I you? tell my friends. Do you? Yeah. Good on you, Paul. Oh, dear listener, have you told your friends? Have you said, hey, listening to this great podcast, it's time to spread the word. Speaking of which, actually, uh, we're, there'll be a link, but you can vote for us in the podcast awards. That would be nice in the popular vote. So, um, Please vote for us. Yeah, vote for us and tell your friends. <laughs> and tell Amanda Stoker. She'll tune in. Dear listener. Not too long ago, you looked at your podcast app and saw that a new episode of the Iron Fist and Velvet Glove podcast was available to download. Did you silently think to yourself, wait, a new podcast? I like listening to those guys. If so, then you qualify as a potential donor to the podcast. Your donation will help cover some expenses, but more importantly, your donation tells the boys that they are on the right track and to keep up the good work. A dollar a show is all they ask. Go to their website at ironfistvelvetglove.com.au and click on the donations link. Twelfth Man, here's a more meaty topic for you because you sent me this one. So in the UK, um, I'll just read the first part of this article from Spite magazine. It, uh, It is a crime now to be hostile to the Muslim faith. Reading some of the media reporting of the jailing yesterday of Britain First Leaders, Jada Franson and Paul Golding, for religiously aggravated harassment, it would seem so. 
Francis and Golding were sentenced to 36 weeks and 18 weeks respectively for a leafleting and online video campaign in which, among other things, they yelled at Muslims going about their daily business in Kent, wrongly accused some people of being suspects in a Kent gang rape case involving Muslim migrants and caused distress to young people, young Muslims, who witnessed their behaviour. So that's all terrible harassment and should be punished. But in the circumstances of this case, it seems that it was some sort of circumstance of aggravation that the judge took into account and increased the penalty to these two because they demonstrated hostility to Muslims and the Muslim faith. Mm. And the article here in Spiked is making the point that, yes, they harassed people, yes, they should have been punished, but the fact that they were hostile to Muslims shouldn't make any difference at all. It should be what was the harassment that they perpetrated and the fact that it was against a religious faith should really have not come into consideration. Surely um, the principle of freedom of religion and freedom to be religious or not be religious um, should have negated that completely. I mean, we're not all obliged to to believe what Muslims believe or what Christians believe or what anybody believes, and um, that should be relevant, shouldn't it? Mm. So, quoting from the article, he says here, they were convicted of religiously aggravated harassment. That is, they weren't merely punished for harassing people, they were also punished for what they were thinking as they harassed these people, in essence, for what they believe, that Islam is bad and Muslims are dangerous. They weren't only punished for what they did, but also for what they thought. There is a word for that, thought crime. And the example I gave you before was, you know, what if they just didn't like redheads and were harassing rangers and stuff? Well, that wouldn't be a circumstance of aggravation. So it's it's what did they actually do to these people that is important, not what was in their head. And what um, they did was... Worthy of um, some sort of... Some punishment. sort of, yeah, penalty. Yeah, yeah. But jail? I, I don't really 36 know. 36 weeks in jail? sounds a lot, but I don't know quite the circumstances and how bad they were in the conduct they were doing. So I, I, I don't, don't know. know either, to be honest. And mm-hmm. look, I mean, the, 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 the writer on Spiked made the point that, you know, these are probably not people that we like or necessarily agree with in every respect. But if we truly believe that in a liberal democracy people are entitled to their own thoughts and beliefs and beliefs and opinions, then they're entitled to theirs as well. Mm. Any thoughts on that one, Scott? Um, I just came to the same conclusion that you guys did, that um, there there was need for some sort of punishment for them because they were harassing people. But I did agree with the author of the article saying that, you know, it was a thought crime. So, yeah, that's where it fell over for me. Mm. We've previously mentioned that there was a very good argument that the National Chaplaincy Program could be illegal due to its discrimination practice of requiring a religious employee who doesn't have a religious role. And we said 
Somebody out there needs to start a test case of some sort. And? And the various humanist, secularist, rationalist bodies have written a letter to the Human Rights Commission saying, uh, calling for, uh, we write to request that the Australian Human Rights Commission inquire into the National School Chaplaincy Program because it interferes with the right to religious freedom and involves religious discrimination in hiring decisions. The Commission has the power under a certain section, which it quotes, to inquire into any act or practice that may be inconsistent or contrary to any human right. Um, so they're basically saying to the Human Rights Commission, you have the power and the duty to, to um, um, start inquiries where there's active discrimination and we're calling on you to do it. And that was signed by... Rationalist Society, Sydney Atheists, New South Wales Rationalist Association, National Secular Lobby, Humanist Society, Council of Australian Humanists, um, Progressive Atheists, Ferris, Queensland Parents for Secular State School. Mm. So a whole bunch of them. Same. Well done. We'll see what happens with that. Mm. Scott, have you suddenly contracted some sort of Hay fever at your end? Is it the cat, it's a cat. Yeah, just... I'm trying. Um, no, I'm trying to stop sneezing. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Just checking you're all right. No, um, I'm okay. Yeah, I haven't passed out or anything like that. Okay. Um, Twelfth man, looking for a meaty topic for you. I'm going to jump straight to one that, guys, I hadn't warned you about, but I came across this one. The Nagangkari healers, and here's what's happening. Uh, this is an Aboriginal group. Nagangkari healers uh, were considered the treasure of Aboriginal communities, and now their 60,000-year-old tradition has made its way to South Australia's Royal Adelaide Hospital. So what we've got is Aboriginal Witch doctors, essentially. Naturopaths, I prefer to call them. Yeah. Who are practising a form of um, complementary medicine, which involves a kind of um, removing of bad spirits Mm. from people's bodies as part of traditional Aboriginal culture, are being encouraged to be active in the South Australian hospital system and they're being given, you know, assistance to conduct their activities in clinics and, you know, rooms and places like that. And so they're working alongside traditional Western medicine in the hospital system, providing traditional Aboriginal complementary medicine to Aboriginal people who might want it. Do you think they're taking a page out of, <coughs> a, a leaf out of the book of the, the POMs who for many years have been subsidising homeopathy? Perhaps, but here's, here's the thing. It's actually encouraging a lot of Aboriginal people to come into the hospital system and while they're there, not only are they getting the traditional Aboriginal medicine which you and I would consider to be 
hocus pocus mumbo jumbo ineffective, but they're then getting some Western medicine where the, you know it's helping them out. So here's the conundrum: twelfth man and velvet glove. Do we encourage a system that is on its face saying this is a legitimate practice? Come into our system and practice your snake oil medicine because a byproduct is that people actually then get some Western medicine? Or do we say, no way, that's just stupid, you can't have that? And, and when you know that probably that would mean less people will actually get help. Gentlemen, thoughts? Um, are they using that as a, a complete alternative to... Western medicine, or is no. it complex? Is it just? It just goes in on top of it, does it? It goes in as a, as additional. Yep. Well, whatever gets people through the front door, I'd say in that case. But there's a cost, of course, because they're turning over the use of um, facilities such as rooms um, that could be used for other. We would probably argue more constructive purposes. But if people aren't in the in the rooms because mm. they haven't come into the hospital because yeah. they're uncomfortable, but yeah. they are comfortable when they know that there is um, an Aboriginal witch doctor there, mm. it's, it's tricky, isn't it? I just just gave me an idea. But what do you think of this? We um, we um, make friends with some some religious people, Christians, whatever, like your, your friend Chris mm. down the Gold Coast, and we persuade him that his religion is a little bit hokey-pokey and persuade him to give us a room at the back of the church. Now, we get the parishioners to come in thinking <laughs> they're coming in for the message of the Gospels. Yes. And then he ushers them through to us in the back room and we give them a crash course in the scientific method and why their beliefs are bound to be nothing but superstition and we deconvert them. What do you think about that? So you're, you're saying why doesn't the situation get reversed with the hospital being required yeah. out of necessity? I mean, there, there may be something in it. What, I, mm. what I'm getting at, I suppose, is that the people, as Scott said, you know, if they're coming in, well, that, that's a plus, you know. Uh, if it's bringing them through the door, that's a plus, and maybe they're getting a benefit from the, um, you placebo know, the regular, effect. They could be getting yeah. a placebo benefit. There is, well, people will will argue placebo effect does have an effect, mm. but it might um, introduce them to the benefits of um, regular medicine as well, and um, mm. and would, then they it, might become less dependent on the traditional healing. It would be grating, though, for a health professional, a, a trained doctor, to to be working in the hospital and then having somebody just waving their magic hands over somebody and and shifting the spirits out of their sore arm, that, and and that person being treated as legitimate as a as a health professional who's that would be really. You'd have to be very philosophical in your approach to it, wouldn't you? I think the, the other another aspect is it delegitimizes science in a sense, doesn't it? Mm. Because it's saying, um, well, these people believe their healing techniques 
are real, therefore we will accommodate them in facilities that are built for real medicine and real genuine yeah. healing practices. Yes. See, on the one hand, part of me is thinking, well, if you're going to do that, internally you need to make it very clear in the organisation that you consider this to be mumbo-jumbo and that it is only being done because of its ability to get people in the door. But then that's very insulting to the practitioners mm. of this witchcraft <laughs> and they then may not actually agree to come into the hospital mm. if you're as rough and as blunt as that, if you mm. actually openly state, look, uh, everyone, let's be clear, this stuff is nonsense but we're doing it to get people in, well. then the... Um, the Aboriginal practitioners may decide not to come in because they're not feeling. Do you know one enough? thing that caught my eye was the statement that it's sixty thousand. It's a sixty thousand year old tradition. Now that's extremely presumptuous. Yes, uh, I don't think there, there's any um, self-respecting anthropologist out there who will tell you that an oral tradition uh, doesn't change mm. over time. Mm. Even oral traditions change. Of um, course, they do. There's just no way of determining how old uh, what they're doing really is. I mean, it's likely to be a few generations old at the very least and could be hundreds of years old. But to claim it's 60,000 years old is uh, just stretching credibility quite a lot. Mm. You know? Any further thoughts, Scott, other than you reckon let it happen? Well, I think let it happen because of the reason that I outlined before. I just think mm. if it gets them through the door, then that's fine. I do take your point that it's a – well, I mean, I'm more concerned about the feelings of the uh, genuine doctors rather than the witch doctors, mm. you know. Um, so, yes, they could feel disrespected, I suppose, as having this whole – mumbo-jumbo being forced out, being applied at the same rate as their their medical training. So, yeah, I don't think it's um, I don't think it's that bad. So, Scott, what anyway. did you like my idea of you know organising a room at the back of the church? <laughs> uh, the organising the room at the back of the church is a completely different thing because that's a private uh, it's a private thing that's set up by a community group and that type of thing and therefore it's not a it's not a taxpayer provided facility That's like the hospital is mm. Mm. so i think we do have to uh i think we'd have to give up on that one. Oh, mm. but but you know it's, <laughs> it's possible as a voluntary arrangement so chris if you're listening uh you know if you if you were minded to we would be happy to attend one of your services if we're given some time to actually um, perhaps dissuade your followers from their belief. So that would help sort of them to confirm their thinking. But obviously it's probably not going to happen. <laughs> but that's a tough one. This, this Aboriginal it is a tough witch one. doctor clinics in a Western hospital, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not comfortable with with how to approach that. So, dear listener, if you reckon you've got the solution to that one, uh, tell us all about it. I only found this article a few hours ago and haven't had a real chance to, to nut out 
Um, Wouldn't you love to interview the people who came up with the idea or at least gave approval for it to go ahead? Well, no, because I I know what they'd say. What would they say? Well, they would say people will... Aboriginal people will come into the clinic if we allow this service and they will get overall better health care because of it. Mm. Now, some of those people would have been quite glowing in the ability of this uh, Aboriginal medicine to actually work as well, and some may not, but, you know, it would have been a case of the ends justify the means Mm. is, is what it's about. I guess. Yeah. And that's where I fall into that category. I think the ends do justify the means because you've got, you got people coming in that are getting Western medicine and that type of thing, yeah. and the way that you get them in there is to offer their hocus-pocus to them as well. Yeah, but then, you know, we rail against religion, but, you know, sometimes convicted felons in the prison system have a conversion to Christianity and change their life and become decide to you know, become more moral people and give up their their burglaries and stealing and all the rest of it because they have a revelation in God. Now, we've been saying these people have no place in the prison system, you know, religious chaplains, etc. But if you believe in a ends justifies the means principle, then you would say that to some extent a lot of these religious groups might well be justified in many walks of life if they're going to act as a circuit breaker mm. like that. So it's a, it's, a, it's a dangerous road to travel down when you go down the ends justify the means path, and I'm, I'm really reluctant to go down there. It lends legitimacy to something that doesn't really deserve that level of legitimacy yeah. in our science-based society and it's an abandoning a group of people and saying you don't you don't get the full story you're not worthy of it you get a substituted story because that's all we can do with you is it not also you guys are reading too much into this it's uh it's just a i just think it's a placebo to get people through the door that's That's, all that's our job scott to read stuff into it yeah i i think you're i think you're putting too much into it mate so you know I don't know. I, I could be wrong. I, I, I like the idea of opening it up to the listeners and see what they actually have to say. Are we, are we not also it's... being a little bit... Cond- I mean, not us, but are they not also being a little bit condescending towards Indigenous Australians, assuming that they need superstition to get them into direct contact with, you know, proper, real medicine? Yes, it is. Probably, we probably are. But... but... Uh, ends the, justify the, the means. Justify the means, exactly. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Maybe at this very moment we're being conned in some way to do something, but we're not even aware of it. But on an ends justify the means, we'll we'll be happy to believe and continue what we're doing. Saying, why did you really invite me to join this podcast? <laughs> What was your true motivation? Um, you're a good conversationalist. You've got good ideas. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see about that. All right, so that's a tricky one, that one about the Aboriginal community. Um, still on Aboriginals. Um, 
Because they do present good conundrums. They certainly do. Yeah. And this is a terrific one, the next one, isn't it? Yeah. So we had a situation where almost 100 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christian leaders. That's an oxymoron there, isn't it? Mm. Accompanied by non-Indigenous friends, met yesterday to pray and reclaim the site of Captain James Cook's landing at Cornell on the southern shores of Botany Bay the country of the Quigal clan of the Daharawal nation. So anyway, they've gone to where Cook landed at Botany Bay and had a bit of a ceremony and had some prayers. And one of the quotes is, this place is a place where at first contact with Aboriginal people, Cook's first reaction was to shoot. This is a tragic story. Um, and one of the speakers, Prentice, told the crowd before leaving the group for the open prayer, quote, the Holy Spirit did not come on any boats. It didn't come with Captain Cook. It was already here. God was always here. Sort of mumbo-jumbo you get from religious people, isn't it? But, but how did Jesus get there is what I want to know. Here we go. You're a Christian Aboriginal. Wouldn't you be torn... Because on the one hand, you know, Cook brings with him Christianity, which is the word of God. And he probably had a Bible on and, the ship, at least one copy. And, you know, according to the Protestant faith, you know, knowing God and believing in him and faith in him is, is what you need to get into heaven. That's so all you need. So uh, Cook brings that. Yet on the other hand, you know, obviously devastates the Aboriginal community. Cook didn't devastate No, but he brings with him the circumstances that do. It just, you'd be really torn if you're some sort of Christian Aboriginal leader. How you can be both, I don't know. I've often wondered that, you know, how you could, uh, you know, decry the arrival of Europeans and yet, be an Aboriginal Christian. How, how do you do that? Yes. Well, the way you do it, Paul, is you come up with a theory that um, the Holy Spirit did not come on any boats. It was already here <laughs> somehow. So in that so, case, uh, so you should you, be better off as a Muslim or a Jew or something that not related to the specific... The thing about Jesus. I just have a real problem with people who claim to be Christian Aboriginal leaders. I, I just think too. you can't you can't claim to be you you've lost your Aboriginal culture. Totally. It is so completely different to Aboriginal completely. culture that you're something quite different. It has no relation to their dream time stories yeah. whatsoever. Or their you know, the animism mm. animistic animism. Yeah. It is animistic, yeah. yeah. Um you know, they don't let facts get in the way of a good they certainly don't. theory. Scott, any thoughts? Um, I agree with everything you've said there because that was the thing that when I first read the headline of it, I thought to myself, why the hell would they be going there to pray? Yeah. Because, you know, this is where their, where their um, conquest started was with the Christians that arrived at the time. So, mm. yeah. anyway, yep. I, I, I find it a little bit, ridiculous that um, you've got Aboriginals that 
say to the world we are Christians, but then they still carry on about the dream time, you know, um, and the great serpent and that sort of thing that created the world. Yeah, It's pretty hard to put them all together in the one mix. but Absolutely, it is. Yeah, it is. People manage to do it somehow. So they just create a mm. new mixed-up religion. Um, finally, just uh, on Aboriginal, on topics of Aboriginal Australia, we've got Alice Springs. Uh, there's a place there called Anzac Hill, I think it was called. And, yes, and uh, Aboriginal activists have been seeking to have a f- Aboriginal flag on Anzac Hill. And... Um, the traditional owners want it, the RSL wants it, the Department of Veteran Affairs wants it, and the only people who don't are the local council who've said no. And your friend, Jacinta Price, mm. has said no way. It would yeah. be divisive. I wonder why Jacinta's against it. I mean, I have to say I'm not... I don't, I don't have any passionate opposition to it. If they want to put up an Aboriginal flag on Anzac Hill, they were, after all, in... Indigenous um, service people mm-hmm. fighting for Australia. Mm-hmm. If makes them feel good about having an Aboriginal flag up there, I don't think that's a huge issue, is it? I don't know. One wouldn't have thought so, but apparently it is. Yeah. I, have an, I have an issue with the divisive nature of it. Mm. Um, Anzac Hill, I mean, when our soldiers fought... For our, well, for our country. Yeah, they didn't and, fight for a flag, as some people... And they weren't fighting for part of it, or they were just fighting for the whole place. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's divisive to mm-hmm. keep encouraging a separate nation of Aboriginals. I don't think that helps. Well, I we put the up... continual separation of Aboriginals on one side yeah. and the rest of us on the other, and the, the continual emphasis of the differences... Mm-hmm doesn't help so, so i don't if, if you go back to that picture there was mm. another flag there what was that one oh um, that was the that was the northern territory northern ter- flag so perhaps right. we should take that one down too um that's divisive i think isn't it get rid of state flags uh, is it divisive they were fighting for australia not for the northern territory well that's true why is the Northern Territory flag there? I mean, the Northern Territory flag should be on the at the Parliament House and very few other places, essentially. Really, yeah. So, um, look, you know, on the on, on, on a scale of um, important issues, it's pretty low down for me. It, I have it to is, say. but it's symptomatic of the sort of continual mm. emphasis on the differences. Yes, on ethnic differences yeah. and on ident- identity politics and. You'll remember we had, well, you probably don't remember, Paul, because you don't remember our past episodes very well normally. Not very well. But no. Morgan Freeman was interviewed mm-hmm. by a guy and he said, mm-hmm. he was asked, you know, how do we fix racism? Mm. And he, he said, said stop, stop talking about stop it. Stop talking about mm. it. Black History Month you find ridiculous. Why? You're going to relegate my history to a month? Oh, come well, on. What do you do with yours? Which month is White History Month? No, well, no, 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 come on, tell me. Well, the, I'm Jewish. Okay, which I'm month sure. is Jewish History Month? No, there isn't one. Oh, oh, why not? Yeah. Do you want one? No, no, no. I, 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 I don't either. 
I don't want a Black History Month. Black history is American history. How are we going to get rid of racism? Until... Stop talking about it. I'm going to stop calling you a white man. Yeah. And I'm going to ask you to stop calling me a black man. I know you as Mike Wallace. You know me as Morgan Freeman. I think he's right. Stop, I agree. Stop segregating. Like it's like the the you know the football started again. Winter's coming on. Uh, talk of the Aboriginal. Like we've got a specific Aboriginal team in the you know we uh, that the, the plays yeah. the the Indigenous Australian team plays the non-Indigenous at some stage, and that is is beat up as being a great thing, and it's, it's a divisive. bad thing. I agree, it's a bad thing. I mean, why don't we have a, um, I don't know, people who have Swiss descendants team or something, you know? Swiss yeah. ancestors team, I meant to yes. say. You know, or whatever. It's, yeah. it's well, divisive the, and it's pointless. Yeah. Or the whites only team against all yeah. the non-whites. Yeah, but what's a white yeah. after yeah. all, you know? Yeah. Do we have a, um, you know, like when you go to the hardware store to buy paint for your house, you have a, a, a colour card. Yeah. I mean, what do we do? Do we start holding up colour cards to the football players to see which team they should be in? Yeah. It's ridiculous. So, well, then have I swung you around to the thought that perhaps having this sort of divisive flag is not mm. a good idea? Oh, look, you know, I, I'm, I'm not crazy about the flag anyway, but, right. you know, I just think it's, it's a relatively minor issue in light of the fact that we do, they do fly the Northern Territory flag there. Um, I don't see the flag as a, as a huge issue, but I am very strongly against identity politics. I think it's divisive. And it's like... Um, and it's not that I'm unsympathetic to our Indigenous Australians and, and what they've endured, you know, since white settlement or since European settlement, I should say. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not unsympathetic and I think I've told you privately or perhaps on the podcast, in a former life I was a social education teacher in Queensland High Schools. I used to, I used to very deliberately um, introduce uh, material because we're in Queensland, about the, what were they called? The Queensland Mounted Police. They had a special corps of Aboriginal policemen that they right. used to use specifically to go and find and harass and in some cases murder uh, Indigenous people. Really? Yeah, yeah, it was horrific. Mm. And I used to tell my students about it because I mm. thought they needed to know, they needed to be aware Mm. of the incredibly violent uh, frontier history. Not mm. to make them feel guilty, just, just so that they're aware that, um, you know, we do have um, some pretty dark chapters in our collective history. Um, but having said that, you know, when I see on the news one of our uh, football players, Indigenous football players, um you know, apparently being verbally abused as he walked off a field. Yep. I think, well, whatever happened to sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. I mean, these are big, tough guys. Mm. And yet, uh, you know, some idiot in the crowd yells some racial taunt mm. and somehow they become delicate little flowers that just can't take it. I mean, perhaps... 
you know, I've never been on the receiving end of it. I don't know what it's like. But I just honestly think we should put all that in perspective and say, well, the, the person in the crowd who yelled that is a moron and just ignore them. The more attention you give these people, and it's like what Morgan Freeman said, you know, the more we talk about race, the more people notice uh, the bigots who are racists, you know, and if we just stopped giving them oxygen, I think uh, over time they would diminish, they would just fade away. Mm. What do you think? I know what you're saying. I'm not sure if I'm ready to agree with you, though, because, you know, you got that situation of that uh, young girl that yelled out the term monkey or gorilla or something like that at a guy at an AFL match. Yeah, Adam Goods, yep. Yeah, and, um, you know, I'm not sure that he should have been able to, that he should have had to put up with that. I don't want to be in a crowd and have to put up with people yelling that at other people. I don't want to. No. I think there are limits on offensive speech where I want to be able to take a young child to the football and if, for example, the guy next is just swearing like a trooper, he should be kicked out. So there's some language where I think we can say it's just... Not the place. When you're in a public forum, there is some language that's just you have to temper because there are other people and there is a limit to it. But to speech. me, that's a, that's a case of um, good manners and some people don't have good manners. Correct. And some people actually need to be thrown out of a venue because Possibly. despite the most rational explanation to them, they'll keep doing it. Possibly. But not on the basis of their ideas. It's like Mm. these people who were given jail sentences in the UK. The fact that they were um, harassing Muslims was, in a sense, at least half of the the offence in the minds of the the magistrate, apparently. Mm. Now, I I think people being rude or, 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 or misbehaving is one thing. But to go looking for... Racism in every taunt. Um, I think we just uh, amplify the the issue, amplify the problem. We send a dangerous signal when someone like Greg English, uh, English, sort of as captain of the of the Indigenous All Stars, mm. says, "I'm black and I'm proud of it." Then, when somebody in the crowd says, "Well, you're black and you shouldn't be proud of it," you've if he's made the distinction that he's black. Mm. So when somebody in the crowd makes the distinction that he's black, you kind of can't blame them because well, they've made... The, this is where we shouldn't be making the distinction. We shouldn't be that's in the first point. place. Is I think the that's difficulty. the point I'm making, is we shouldn't be labelling ourselves black and white mm. because by doing so, mm. we're, setting, we're setting ourselves up to invite comments on that. Yes, I agree. That's where Morgan Freeman's 100% correct. Yeah, I totally agree with him. Yeah. The, and the less we talk about it... I mean, it's not that we, we pretend the, the issue doesn't exist or yes. we pretend that there aren't people with quite irrational yes. prejudices. But if you glorify racial difference, mm. then you can expect other people 
to, uh, what's the opposite of glorify, um, denigrate. Yeah, racial difference. I mean, by 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 declaring, you know, we, you know, someone is black or someone is white, we're in effect legitimising race theory, which is that we're all divided into races. Yes, yes. And you know, I think you'd agree with me. It's it's nonsense. Mm. We are not, you know, so many different races depending on our, mm. you know, what ethnic culture we come from. That doesn't constitute a race. And by continually labelling ourselves black or white or whatever, we're actually, uh, you know, firming that idea in the minds of people where we should be, you know, demolishing that idea and saying, I'm sorry, but it doesn't constitute race. This idea of race is a relatively uh, recent invention. You know, it's it's a social construct. Mm. I mean, there are biological differences in different parts of the world that can be ascertained by biologists, you know, by scientists, but mm-hmm. it doesn't constitute race. It doesn't constitute a separate, if you like, uh, unique section of humanity, mm. you know? Mm. So yep. I'm, I'm with Morgan Freeman. There you go. Well... Scott, I reckon... I I agree with Morgan Freeman too because, you know, we've got 98% of the same DNA as a chimpanzee, don't we? That's what they say. Mm. Yeah, so then, you know, if we're 98% similar to a chimpanzee, then there's got to be bugger all difference between myself and a black person, you know. Mm. A what person, Scott? Myself and a black person. What's a black person? Yeah, we're not. We're, stop, <laughs> well, okay. stop emphasising difference, Scott. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah, I look, won't say you anything. know, every time I you know refer to myself as a white person, I, I catch myself and I think, God, what am I doing? You know, I'm following this stupid pattern of labelling myself. So I've actually, um, you know, in in recent times, actually refused to call myself a white person anymore. I'm just, mm. I say, no, I'm, I'm not a white person. I'm a person, and my external skin colour is irrelevant. Mm. And I agree with you, and that is exactly the way we should all be handling ourselves. We should all be saying, you know, exactly as, as Paul said, we should all be saying, I'm a person, you mm. know. Scott, you had the idea that we should start doing movie reviews of, of Christian movies, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> tell, me, tell me if that was a good idea or not. Uh, me and Paul went to see Mary Magdalene, and in a word, it was boring, wasn't it, Paul? It was honestly, um, and not just because it was a movie about a you know with a Christian team. It was honestly one of the most boring movies I've ever seen, and it was know, shocking. I've seen a few, and it was appallingly bad. It was. Um, you know, it was it was a re-imaged version of who the historical, in inverted commas, figure that was Mary Magdalene. Yeah. Um, you know, so the movie had turned away from Pope Gregory's story of her being a lady of the night, and she was taken up with this new invigorated woman who took things in hand and she was presented as having the ear of the Lord and Saviour which she held right up through to through Galilee, the resurrection of Lazarus, mm-hmm. into the arrival at, into Jerusalem, and right up until every family's favourite, the crucifixion. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
she was portrayed as as being the first person who saw the resurrected Jesus and was also the first person to speak to the other apostles. Mm-hmm. Um, other things that got on my goat was the portrayal of Judas as being a willing accomplice with Jesus, being fully aware of his betrayal and even acquiescing to it. Well, that's Did true, isn't that? it? Well, I don't know. That, it's, isn't that part that, of the standard that, that, that story? That was my Catholic upbringing, was that Judas was... Was that Jesus... That Jesus, that Jesus knew what Judas was up to, and that sort of stuff. Yes, yes. Okay, that was because being being sort of God anyway. Yes, he he would have had an inkling, surely. Yes, Um, just just yes. So being God, he was aware, but also that there were some stories where Jesus expressed his knowledge of what Judas was up to. So okay, yeah, I thought that was came out of the. Gospel according to Judas, with the, which had been dug up and that sort of thing. See, Ivan, you know, and also, I also thought that Judas hanged himself in the garden, didn't he? Didn't he hang himself in the garden of Gethsemane from a tree rather than a um, yeah, a, 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 a yeah, doorway. rather than from a from a from a from a doorway in a, yeah. in a building. Yeah, yeah. My, my anyway, point. Um, yeah. The other thing that's the thing that really stuck in my throat was the whole portrayal of everything being a portrayal of fact rather than a work of fiction. You know, and um, I think Paul is right because the story of Mary Magdalene, you could do a lot with it. They could have had something in there that um, got people thinking and got people talking and that sort of stuff, but they didn't. They could have sexed it it up a bit or something. Mm. Well... Could have had Stormy. You know, could have had Stormy Daniels yeah, playing, the part. playing the role. Yeah. <laughs> they had. Um, and they Donald had Trump as Jesus. <laughs> Wouldn't that be wild? Yeah, that's what you need for a for a sexed up version of of the crucifixion story. Well, I don't think you. I don't think you could go that far. But um, I did think that they could have done something different with it. Mm. And they just didn't. You know, I have a, I I try to avoid movies where the ending is obvious, and of course, in this one, it's, it was obvious. But you know, your classic sort of American movie where um, uh, good guys or girl meets boy, and there's going to be conflict, but it's going to be resolved, and it's all going to be happy at the end of the day. It's not a movie that I would traditionally go to, but. Um, so, yeah, we, you know the ending is not a movie that appeals to me, but just speaking about Judas, um, as he were, I'm expecting any moment now, Scott, a text message from Judas. From Judas? Yes, okay. yes. And That's a revelation? <laughs> I'm, I'm seriously expecting a text message from Judas because um, the Bible Society has created this thing called Holy Text, which I've signed up to. And the idea is that over this Easter weekend, I'll receive text messages from various players in the whole crucifixion business, um, basically uh, describing what's happening to them. So, uh, and I'll be getting these text messages. So, for example, I'll get one from. Mary uh, Magdalene saying, the, the stone's rolled away. Where have they taken him? Someone has stolen him. Oh, and another one from Mary saying, alive, he's alive. And uh, as events transpire over the Easter weekend, I'll be getting text messages, messages oh. from Judas and from the other disciples and Mary um, recreating the 
the whole scene for me. You've got to hand it to the Christians. They're so creative. They're just bringing the whole thing to life for us. Yeah. It's, it's him. I thought it was the gardener. Then he said my name. It's him. That's one of the text messages I'm going to get from Mary Magdalene. So how about that? Mary thought it was the gardener, but when he said his name, she knew it was him. Oh. Yeah. I think it's going to be great. So, um, you look excited, well, Trevor. So, dear listener, good luck can, with that, Trevor. Yeah. You can do this, dear listener. If you um, if you text the word holy to oh four two nine 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 three four double seven, they'll respond immediately with some text messages asking you your first name and postcode uh, to make sure that the time zones are correct, and uh, and look forward to a series of texts over the Easter weekend. As Lovely. events transpire for Jesus and the disciples and Mary. And how much are they charging you for that? Well, it's just normal cost of a text, which under my plan doesn't cost me anything. Mm. So I'll pick up. But there are up. these trick texts out there, aren't there? <laughs> so I'm on unlimited texts, so wow. it, it'll be free. Yeah, but you've... Yeah, I don't know. I, I just thought it might be one of those things that cost you a dollar a text or something like yeah. that, that you've then gone and helped the Bible Society. No, so. it did say that it was going to be just your normal text charges applied. So, yeah. It's not like um, Australia's Got Talent or something like that where you have to pay to yeah. vote for your favourite artist. So the way they describe it, Easter, direct to your phone. Chaos has erupted in the Middle East. A carpenter turned teacher has divided families in every community group. Anyone following him is under fatal threat. The movement's now gone underground, and you can be part of it with messages sent straight to your phone from five private contacts at the centre of the movement. There you go. It's exciting stuff. Yeah, so you've got to hand it to them. They're, they're on the ball. So that's what's happening there. That's the Mary Magdalene review. I won't be going, and I think we've saved the dear listener from going. Um, well, I think that the message to the dear listener is all in all, it was very boring and really not worth your time or your money. Mm. Right. It's going to be bad, right, wouldn't it, Paul? Oh, gosh. What more can I add? <laughs> Gentlemen, I reckon this is going to end up... Once I've edited out all the Skype dropouts, still quite a long episode. <laughs> so, dear listener, enjoy your Easter weekend. Um, if you end yeah, up happy, a, happy Easter, everyone. Yeah, if you end up at a at a service of some sort, Christian, let us know how it went. And no, Are you I'm, planning to go? No, from? it would only be as an excursion to just see what's going on. But um, no, I'm not planning on it. I'd, well, I'd rather go to a Catholic mass than go to that Mary Magdalene movie that you went oh to. God, I think I'd find it more interesting. Was wonderful, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Mm. yeah. So, um, it was terrible. Although, if you were inclined to self-flagellation, just going to see that movie would be a form of it. It would be, yeah, yeah. Dear listener, if you liked the Chris Lamb interview and you'd like to hear more interviews with religious folk, well, put forward some ideas of some people that you think might be worthwhile. Mm. So... Um, it'd be good to get some different voices. So, all right. Well, on that note, dear listener, thank you for tuning in. Have a happy Easter and whatnot, and we'll catch up with you after that. Bye for now. Thank you for listening, everyone. Bye now. See ya.
Dear listener, we'd signed off, Scott had disappeared, and I looked at my phone, and guess what? I've got a text message from Judas, and I'll just... The phone was actually buzzing. The phone was buzzing while we were were running the podcast, and I wasn't sure what it was. And uh, I've got a series of text messages here. So this one's from Peter. It says, Jesus just said, I'll deny him three times. I'm so embarrassed. You know, I'd never do that. That's from Peter. I've got one here from Matthew. Um, actually, two from Matthew. He said, hey, we just left and headed out to the Garden of Gethsemane. Lost Jesus, though. I know it's getting late, but Jesus wants us to pray with him. Will you join us? And then another message. Where did this angry mob come from? They've got clubs, swords. They're coming to arrest Jesus. Peter is the only one armed on our side. We're trapped. Help. Then from Judas, I know you hate me now. I betrayed Jesus. I betrayed you all. I won't ask for forgiveness. I don't deserve it. Won't accept it. You're not getting it either. You're like Stephen Hawking. You're not getting it. (laughs) This is going to be good. Twelfth man, you've got to sign up for this just to get crazy text messages all over Easter. Mm. Do you know, every Easter I try my level best to forget about the whole (laughs) myth of Jesus. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, First up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think is a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and, uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to I think $10 and various ones in between. It's really, what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, Is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just, it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners. And that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.